Welcome to Sword News here with Kevin Clark. I am Kevin Clark. Yeah. Thanksgiving week special episode to Hall of Fame guests, Chris Mad Dog Russo, a guy we've wanted on this show for a long time. Great discussion about Zach Wilson, about Orlando in the 1980s. Some, some great insight there. Best sports book of all time. Really enjoyed the 20 minutes with Chris. And then, drumroll please, Calvin Johnson joins. Also touches on Zach Wilson. Touches on Justin Jefferson. He has some high praise for Jefferson and some of the LSU guys. Talked a little bit about the Lions, a little Lions hype. Um, really enjoyed it as well. Lindsey Jones also sat in because we recorded it at the same time we did the Monday show. So here's Chris, and then here's Calvin. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was a kid's session with exercise, gymnastics in the water, pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things. But at least I knew they were there just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive, or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side-by-side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. This episode is brought to you by 7-Eleven. What if I told you you could get a big snack almost anywhere for less than five bucks? Let's talk 7-Eleven's $3 big meal deal with seven rewards. Big meal deal is a big bite hot dog and a large big gulp drink. And you won't find a better snack deal anywhere else. Here's what I put on my hot dog. Mustard. And that's it. That's it. I love a hot dog with mustard. Maybe if the chili, if I'm feeling it, if I'm feeling crazy, maybe a little chili, maybe a little nacho cheese, but I'm a hot dog and mustard guy. But if that sounds like your kind of bite, visit 7-Eleven, valid through 1725. 7-Eleven has the right to end this promotion early, plus tax, applicable on large Big Gulp only, participating U.S. stores only. See app for full terms. All rights reserved. All right, Chris Mad Dog Russo, he hosts from three to six. On Mad Dog Sports Radio, he hosts MLB Network's High Heat every weekday, and you can see him on ESPN's First Take with Stephen A. Smith once a week. Mad Dog, what's going on, brother? Kevin, how are you today, pal? How are things going? Okay, uh, things are amazing. I'm I'm really excited. We're moving right now. We're in Westchester. We're in Brooklyn last week. I'm I'm excited about it. I'm excited about this move. Well, I mean, listen, a good place to live. That's Wingfoot. That's right around the corner. Bobby Jones territory. One of the legendary golf courses of all time. And of course, you get out of New York City. So you're in good shape there with the ringer. You're in good, in good shape. Good spot for you guys. I'm, I'm fired up about it. Um, I have one big question. And I want to talk about Zach Wilson, a number of things going, going forward here. But I have one big question. Uh, I have a son coming in two months. We are equidistant. I, I mapped this out. We are equidistant from Yankee Stadium and City Field. I wow. do not care about New York baseball. How should I raise my son as a baseball fan, Chris Russo? Mets, Mets, National League. Better ballpark, number one. Okay. Uh, then Yankee Stadium. Uh, you know, they haven't, we've only won two championships. Sure. Uh, the, the, the fan is a little bit, he's a little younger fan. You know, the Yankee fan's a little older. Um, the Yankee Stadium's like a museum. 
You know, <laughs> like going to a museum, the Met Stadium is a stadium. Uh, you know the owner now is going to spend some money. Yep. The little hipper, little hipper as a franchise. Um, and there's a little friendlier culture. Uh, the Yankees can be a little aloofish. I would say Mets myself. I would say Mets. If you had to make a choice, Mets, Yankees, I would go Mets. Plus the National League, uh, you know, older than the American League. Uh, well, the other way around. American League, older than yeah. the National League. But I would go, um, I, I, I would make them a man. Listen, it's not that's not my ideal thing. I would pick Giants, but I would make them of a course. more than a Yankee. No, oh, I know what your vote would be if I if we open up for the entire league. But we gotta, I gotta add some New York flavor to my to my son's sports childhood, I guess, because he's already got the University of Miami where I went to college, and and we have to talk about this right now. I'm from Orlando, your old stomping ground, so I'm a huge Magic fan. Oh, really? Wow, huge I'm- Magic fan. And I, I am. I listen. It's funny because when I have a guest on here, I listen to all the podcasts that they've been on. And so I, I heard you talk a little bit of Orlando. I wasn't around. I wasn't born. I was born in in the uh, the late eighties in Orlando. What was Orlando like in the mid eighties, Chris? I mean, like wow, the magic you weren't were born, there. Uh, so where uh, you lived in Orlando for the first what 15, 18 oh, years? 18, 18 years, 18. right downtown, right downtown. Oh, in downtown. Oh yeah. my goodness. Uh, yeah, Orlando. I got to Orlando. Remember now in '78 uh, because I went to Rollins, which is in Winter Park. Yeah, of course. So I got there in '78. Matter of fact, on my college visit, I went to uh, Disney World on my college visit in '77. Um, but in uh, but uh, Orlando was quiet then. They were thirsting badly for a sports team. Yeah. Uh, we can thank Pat Williams for having yeah. the Orlando Magic because if it wasn't for him who basically went door to door for a year to sell season tickets. They never would have gotten to that number that they had to get to, to, uh, to apply for a team, which was 10,000 at the time. Remember in those days, there were five friends, five cities that were applied for a team, Miami, Orlando, Minneapolis, Charlotte. And I was a fifth. And so they got the teams on, you know, uh, they, they put them sort of every other year, they put the teams mm-hmm. in and I went to Vegas. no, Phoenix. I went to the winter meetings or the basketball equivalent of winter meetings in Vegas, in uh, Phoenix, when Dave Stern gave those teams out. So I was in Phoenix when Orlando got the team. But Pat Williams is the biggest reason why that team uh, was discovered. And of course, I was also there when they built the original arena, because there were a lot of people who didn't want that arena built. And I remember I did a five-part series on the reasons why or why not they should not build that basketball arena. And I went down to talk to the families. The mayor at the time was Bill Frederick. This yeah. is between the this is between the years '84 and '87. That's when I worked in Orlando. Those three years there, I got there in March of '84 and I left in uh, March of '87. And I went to school there from 78 to 82. So essentially, I was in Orlando for nine years. I loved it. Loved it. That's incredible. Yeah, I know. It's so crazy because it was such a, I don't think people realize it was such a small town back then. It was such a small town. And even when I was growing up, and I explain this to people all the time, my entire sports fandom was shaped by the fact that we had Shaq and Penny and Dennis Scott and Nick Anderson, but it was a small town. I mean, everything was in just a handful of blocks and we had this world famous sports team and it was just as incredible as you can get for a six-year-old. I mean, it was unbelievable. Well, I was there when the first airport was there, McCoy Airport, before they built the new airport. Um, Because I guess... I got to Orlando in 78 and that new airport wasn't built yet. Uh, Yeah, Orlando, uh, it's changed a lot. You know, Lee Corso had a lot to do with it, too, because the Orlando Renegades came in 1985. So you had the Renegades, 
albeit USFL football. You had the renegades there. Don Disney was a good owner. You had to, and they, you know, they got absorbed by Trump, who went obviously right to the uh, wanted the merge with the NFL. So the USFL that. Uh, relationship that they had with their fan base and they had with Tampa, the bandits and the renegades were a big yeah. rivalry. Spurrier coached the bandits, but Corso came down from, I believe he, I don't know if he was at Indiana, if he was out of coach, but he came down to coach Orlando and they did it at the, uh, at the Emporium in downtown to introduce him, which was a huge day. And yeah. that was probably early 85. Wow. And that was a big event. And of course the shuttle, the space shuttle, oh, of course, which blew up in 86. I was listening to a radio to the radio broadcast of that at a quarter to 10 at night in May, whenever it was 86, whatever yeah. the month was going to an event. January. And it was yeah. a January. And at the end of the broadcast on the mutual radio network, which KIS News Talk 74 is covering, you can tell the announcer kind of was startled by something, but he signed off the air. And I signed off the thing, went to the event, didn't realize until a half hour later what had happened. So I saw Orlando at a very interesting period there between 1984 and 1987. I love those three years. I wonder about football, but I do want to say that we were actually banned as elementary school students from watching the space shuttle go up in the sky because of how traumatized those kids were when, because they used to go out for every space shuttle launch and they saw it blow up. And so when I was like five, they were like, no, you guys can't actually go outside and watch the space shuttle. Completely insane. Um, all right, so let's talk about Zach Wilson, which is, I didn't know it would get this bad this quickly because there, there's only a couple of things he needed to be able to do. Complete a short pass is one of them or say, I'm sorry, this one's on me. We just said, the second guest on the show is Calvin Johnson. And he basically said that it, it is so easy for you in the locker room to take responsibility for something. And the way he's posturing himself, it's accelerating the process of getting him out of New York. Like this is going to happen quicker than we ever thought. Because listen, you have to meet with ownership. You have to meet with the GM before you're going to bench a second overall pick in the draft, Chris. But at this point, there's no reason to keep him if he's going to play like this and then act like this. It's so easy to get up there. You know this in the New York media and say, no one's going to work harder than me. We're going to fix this. I'm going to grind. I can't promise everything, but we're going to do this. I can't believe how bad it's gotten this quickly, Chris. 100% right. I mean, I, the Jets are obviously going to give him the next six, seven games. I don't think they go to Mike White, nor should uh, Sala done that yesterday, but he's very immature. He made a big deal about how you know, the rest of the world doesn't know anything about football compared to the teammates <laughs> and his team, yeah. which you can't do in New York City. We've been following football a lot longer than he's been playing it. He's a very <laughs> immature kid, and his performance really all year has been spotty, but his performance yesterday was was abominable. I mean, two yards of offense. They couldn't get a couple of first downs in the last whatever it might be. I know people are killing Salah for not putting the ball out of bounds, but you know what? That game was lost before then. Uh, they did a horrific job offensively. You know, he was terrible in the game. And then he, he, right, he didn't take ownership of the defeat as a quarterback who's the spokesman of his team. He's the messenger to the media and the fan base. The quarterback's got to go up there and say, you know, my bad, my fault. This is unacceptable. We had 102 yards of offense, and he did nothing. 
of that of that nature. So Garrett Wilson did more than he did. So yep. that was a horrific performance. Again, uh, I think the Jets are probably alarmed by his behavior, and they're probably, you know, very nervous uh, about what they have at the position. You know, Joe Douglas can bring in all the great offensive linemen he wants, yep. but if Joe Douglas fails with the quarter, Donald wasn't on him. He this man is on him. And and if he fails, that's on Douglas. And, uh, you know, right now, uh, I would be very, very concerned by him. I know Mac Jones wasn't great yesterday either, but he threw for 246 yards. They did miss two field goals. Uh, you know, their offense isn't great either. Uh, the Jets did not run the ball well yesterday. No, Brees Hall has killed them. But that was a miserable, awful performance. And you're right, his postgame game. Uh, exasperated it, which makes it worse. So I'd be very worried about the Jet quarterback right now. The immediacy is getting their season back on track. You know, listen, San Diego loses, so, you know, there's less teams to worry about. Not many teams in the AFC who are going to fight for a playoff spot. I mean, I don't think the Chargers are. It's the Chiefs, the Ravens, the Bengals, and then, of course, the, uh, you know, and Tennessee, and then there's four in the AFC East. So only one of those teams in the AFC East is going to be knocked out. And the Patriots have a hard schedule. So, you know, I wouldn't rule the Jets out of it by any stretch. But, you know, and they should beat the Bears. But the Jets are going to have to beat a Buffalo, beat a Miami on the road to get in. We shall see if they can do that as the season winds down. But a horrendous performance. Horrendous. It's just brutal. I mean, the one thing I can say is that Joe Douglas has earned enough trust with the rest of his roster to draft a second quarterback. I think that I, they can well, keep those either. pieces. In, They're not going to get rid of him. So he probably right. will be in that situation. And I don't know. They, what you are looking down the road, if Wilson plays poorly and his season implodes and he's terrible in the next six, seven weeks, what are the Jets going to do? That's an I can't answer that right now. The Jets are not wanting not wanting about thinking about that question right now because you know, in their mind, they got seven games to go. And if he wins four or five of the seven and they make the playoffs and has some good moments, they can move on with them and they can develop with them. But you're basically saying, well, hold on now, Chris. How about if they do collapse? It's a horrendous performance. He's immature. What do you do? The Jets don't want to think about that prospect right now. I don't know what happens other than I don't think they, they're going to be in a position to draft a top quarterback. So I then I think you're looking at the Jimmy Garoppolo, Derek Carrs, and maybe I'm just going to throw this out there. Maybe the Aaron Rodgers is of the world. I know that they probably don't want to go back to the well 14 years later and take another old Packers quarterback, but I'm just saying that could be the type of quarterback who gets shopped in February and March of this year. Yeah, I, I, you know what? That will be you know, basically the Jets collapse. What they do at the quarterback position will be very interesting. He hasn't played a lot, hasn't started a lot of games. They did take him with the second pick in the draft. Yep. They moved up to get to that second pick, if I'm not mistaken. So from that standpoint, they're going to be careful of unloading him when he's only played what? How many games he played last year? About eight, nine games? He yep. missed the first four games this year. So you're talking about unloading a 22-year-old, 23-year-old, you know, after 13, 15 games. That's a, that's a quick that's a quick report card. I don't know what the Jets will do with that. He is, listen, he is very immature. He doesn't know how to handle the media. He doesn't understand in New York, you can't say the kind of stuff that he has to say. Maybe he, maybe he improves, but even a Jet fan's down in right now. The comments after the game yesterday were as bad as the performance in the game. And remember, he said some things in the past, too. Nobody knows anything about yep. football except guys in his yep. room. He's yep. been very dismissive of the New York Jet fan. And the media guy in New York, and you can't if you're if you're not if you're going to play lousy, you can't do that. So that's a problem. 
two quick ones for you. Number one, I thought this was interesting because I, I try to do this too, but sometimes it's impossible. You say that when you have a guest on, you like to read the book or or whatever whatever the, the, the product is, you like to consume it beforehand. You've read a ton. You and Peter King had a great podcast a couple years ago. We were going back and forth on, on, on sports books. I loved it. I'm a huge sports book aficionado. What is the best sports book of all time, Chris Russo? Uh, when Pride Still Mattered. Yeah. David Lombardi one. David Moranis. And, David you know, Moranis. he, uh, you know, Marinus is a great writer. Yes. Uh, that one, to me, uh, stands out more than anything else. I mean, it came out 18. I mean, plus he's a legendary character. He's Vince Lombardi. Uh, you know, uh, it was 30, 40 years after his death. So, you know, you sort of gotten away from him. Then you get dove back into him. It was 550 pages. Marinus is from Wisconsin. That Packer team is a legendary team. He coached. He's from New York. Uh, you know, it was a different way of going about being a big coach and how he did it in his day and not necessarily how you can do it in our day. Remember, too, he was wrapped up on that HBO special, which they did probably about 10, 12 years ago as well. That, for my money, is the best sports book I've ever read. Uh, and I've read a lot of good ones, but that one is, you know, again, the character is interesting. Uh, you know, part of writing a great, like Mariners did the great book on Thorpe, but I didn't yep, think, I, I don't it. think Thorpe is that interesting as a no. character. He's not that interesting. No. You know, after his play, you know, it's almost like he became a great athlete before he could capitalize on it. So there wasn't a lot in there post-career that was that interesting. Lombardi, 40s, 50s, 60s, five super, three super, uh, two Super Bowls, five yep. championships. That, to me, resonated. And I love the Packers in the late 60s. That's pound for pound, per se. That's the best sports book I've ever read. And it did the best thing, which was it poked holes in the Lombardi myth. He never said winning isn't th- isn't everything. Yeah, it's the only he thing. All that. of those things. He yep. was softer than we thought. He was yep. more of a player's coach than we thought. We had this image of Lombardi and Moranis just poked holes in it, which I thought was perfect. Last thing for you. I, I, I'm interested in this because you're so good at debating things. You love lists. You love the historical perspective. What's your favorite thing to debate? Like if you're just sitting at a bar and someone comes up to you and says, let's, let's, right let's now, talk about right, whatever. Right now it's Ruth Otani. Oh, right this second, you know, because I can fight that debate well. The idea that we've never <laughs> seen anything like this with Otani. Otani hits 265. Ruth's a 341 lifetime hitter. Uh, you know, Otani's pitching. Now, he's doing it all in the same year. Yeah. So he's doing both. But Otani as a pitcher was not nearly as good as Ruth. And forget Otani as a hitter. He's nowhere near Ruth. So, I mean, if you go look at Ruth in the mid-teens, he won 20 games. He pitched 260 innings. He had 29 innings of consecutive scoreless inning streaks in the World Series. I think it was 30, it was 33 innings uh, of consecutive innings uh, of scoreless innings in a World Series scenario. He was a great pitcher on his way to the Hall of Fame. Otani's a good pitcher, pitches 140 a year, 140 innings a year, who the Angels are careful with not to overexpose six day, six man rotation and all those kinds of things. Plus, he's a hitter. He's a DH who hits 260. Now, he's an excellent hitter. I mean, he hits 35, 30 and home runs in Oxford. Ruth hits 70, hits 60 homers a year in 154 games. So, the idea that anybody thinks that in any shape, way, or form that Otani is what we saw with Ruth, that is nonsense. Ruth only had the one year where he did both. I'll buy that. But that's because Ruth didn't want to do it anymore. 
I mean, he wanted to get away. He just wanted to hit. He didn't want to pitch anymore. But you mean to tell me if Ruth pitched and hit in the same year, he couldn't do the same things Otani's doing? The one year that Ruth did both, he won 11 games and hit 29 home runs. And back in 1918, 1919, when nobody hit home runs. So th- that argument I find fascinating, the idea that Otani is Ruth. There's no Ruth. Don't compare. I'm convinced. I'm convinced. I'm convinced. Chris Russo, thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, Sunday great day. job. We love Thanks, you, buddy. Keep it up. Appreciate it. Thanks, buddy. Have a great week. Okay. Calvin Johnson's here, one of the best receivers in the history of football, a Detroit Lion. He's here to talk about Thanksgiving games, here to talk about NFL all day. Calvin, what's going on, man? Good, man. Staying busy. You know, I'm in the uh, cannabis industry here in Michigan, so that's keeping me, keeping me uh, super busy. Got a family, three boys, you know, foundation, all those things just keep me tied down. Nice. Um, I want to get to, to all of that. Um, let's start, though, with the red-hot Detroit Lions, a team you know very well. Um, what do you think about this current winning streak? What do you think about Sunday? I mean, is this – I think there was a I, – I really like Dan Campbell. I spent a lot of time with him two years ago when he first came into the job. Um, I thought he was just doing things differently in a way that I thought would eventually work. There was a lot of skepticism, especially the way they started the season this year, um, and that seems to be subsiding. Uh, just generally, what do you think about the Lions right now, Calvin? You know, just like you said, you know, I like Dan. I played with him. You know, I like golf. He showed he can win. You know, I like their running back room, how that looks. You know, they have some pieces. You know, I, I like Hutchinson. I like some things that they got going along, along that defensive line, you know. So you start to see bright spots here and there, and you start to see it come together and um, and, and gel all together under under Coach under Coach, John, uh, Coach Dan there. Um, so I'm, I'm happy for him. I'm happy for the team. Uh, what are they on, a three-game win streak right now? Mm-hmm. So, uh you know, that's that's really, uh, you know, I heard they got a chance to even get in the, you know, talk playoffs, you know. So, yeah. you know, they're just keeping that talk alive, you know, and I think that they're a spirited bunch, they're a young bunch. So I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't cap them right now. Is it hard? I know this is, this is a big question, but you know it as well as anybody to change the culture in there. Um, is it hard in Detroit where, I think there's just an expectation, especially in in the stands, they've seen a lot of losing where you say, okay, to turn this thing around, it takes more than maybe other franchises just because of the mentality of the last couple of decades, Calvin. Uh, you know, I, I, mean, I mean, it starts at the top, you know, yeah. your division, where you want to go, you know, and, and if it doesn't start there, then you leave, you know, that up for other people to set, you know, what those uh, visions and missions um, are for you. And unfortunately, they have someone in Dan right now that seems like, you know, he, he might be able to shed some light on the situation and, and point them in a the direct direction if he's given time. You know, that's the thing. If, if some of these people are given time uh, to do what they need to do to build a team and build that uh, that winning culture. Well, you talk about this winning culture, three-game win streak. Sunday's win against the Giants, I mean, I think that was like a really legit, I mean, you cannot really poke any holes in that loss. Now let's look ahead a little bit to Thursday, Thanksgiving game against the Bills. Uh, handicap this matchup for us a little bit here. And and what would it mean in Detroit if the Lions were able to pull off this win? I mean, it's one thing to beat the Giants. I'm sure it was great to beat the Packers. But if they could beat the Bills on Thanksgiving, what would that mean? Uh, it would be huge. And I think that how they're looking at the situation potentially is that, you know, the Bills are they're a little wounded. So they want to get back. But obviously, you know, they want to dig into those wounds a little more. They've been playing sound football and they just have to continue to play sound football and not, you know, win the turnover battle. 
you know, I think that's always key in each and every game, but don't hurt yourself. You know, don't create, don't, don't do dumb, don't have dumb mistakes. Don't have missed tackles and just play sound football. I think they're capable of doing that. I think Dan's able to um, uh, rally the troops and able to, and able to get them to uh, play such football. Zach Wilson last night made some news by basically not taking any responsibility for, for being a bad quarterback. And there was a lot of consternation. You know, Garrett Wilson has those comments basically saying we should be doing better than this. And then they asked Zach Wilson and he says, nope, didn't let my defense down, didn't let anything down. Obviously, um, as a receiver, you've played with quarterbacks who are not as good at quarterbacking as you are at receiver. When a quarterback is not playing the way he's supposed to play or when he's, he's letting, making them lose in the case of Zach Wilson, how does that quarterback win over the rest of his team? How does he, you know, someone was, the report last night was that he was walking around like he wasn't the problem. Um, how does a quarterback uh, convey to his team that, that, that he can do better, he's sorry, and just even just make up for, for a bad performance within the locker room, Calvin? I mean, the first way is not to, you know, say that, you know, I'm not, I didn't do anything wrong. You know, that's the first <laughs> thing you can't not do. You know, you have to take accountability, even if you aren't uh, basically the issue. You got to say, I can do better here and there. There's always something we can do better at. Um, but as a quarterback, you just know, like, when you're in this position, whether it's your fault or not, you know, if you don't win the game, you're going to get the fingers pointed at you. you you're right. the head honcho. I mean, so uh, he has to expect that. I mean, whether it's his fault or not, you know, you got to be able to take that, to be able to shoulder that. And um, there's a lot of growth needs to be had if, 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 if that's your quarterback and, and, that, and he's not, not, being, not able to take that kind of accountability. So we're now, I think, as we get into the second half of the season after Thanksgiving, I think we're going to be on like receiver record watch. How closely are <laughs> yeah. you paying attention to the yardage totals that are going on there with Tyree Kill and with Justin Jefferson? Um, and then maybe take us through. I want to know who your favorite of these young receivers are. Yeah, I'm not on watch yet, but I, I have heard that um, we got a couple out there. Um, and obviously, the, both of them are extremely talented and 100% can do it. You know, if they stay healthy, um, 100%. It's, it's, it's definitely out there. It's attainable. Um, who's my favorite receiver out there right now? 100%. It's, it's easily for me. Uh, the, I love the LSU boys, the guys coming out of the LSU right now, obviously Chase and, um, and uh, Jefferson. But I have to lean to Jefferson a little bit, maybe because I see him a little bit more because he's in the NFC mm-hmm. North. But obviously, he made the greatest catch ever in NFL history last week. And um, or what I don't know, I don't know if it was last week, the week before, but yeah, just, I've, been, I've been paying attention to the kid and uh, I love what he does. I love how he makes plays on the ball in the air. So he's a talented, very talented, and uh, can't, uh, can't wait to see how his uh, career unfolds because he's so, so you know, he's just in the beginning. You said something that piqued my interest. You think that that was the best catch you've ever seen against Buffalo? Yeah. No, I mean, just that the gravity of the situation. Um, the way he went up uh, off balance and brought it in, that's, and that was, that was strong. He stopped it from hitting, hitting the ground. All that, that, that took a lot of strength and awareness. So I love it. What's your favorite? You th- oh, I mean, what's my favorite catch of all time? I mean, that, as, far, as far as what you're describing, as far as actual skill, I think it is that, right? Lindsay, are, is there another one? I mean, I think there's a couple other that are in that like improbable range, you know, the hel- the helmet catch in the Super Bowl, yeah. the da- the David Tyree, like the Julio Jones, stakes. yeah, the Julio Jones catch in right. the Super Bowl against the Patriots a couple years ago is like the best catch that nobody ever remembers because of what happened next. But that is still one that I go back to a lot. But the thing that I couldn't get over about the Justin Jefferson catch is just how strong his hands must yeah. have been, um, and the body control. And I just I still can't believe that he was able to 
the defender had two hands on that ball. I don't, I still, the physics of it do not make sense to me. No, I really don't. Do you think there's something, it's interesting to me because I've talked to a lot of receivers and this, I think, I feel like this started with Julio Jones, which was a, a few years after after you came into the league, Calvin. But it feels like there's a generation of receivers that are just better at everything than the generation before it and the generation before that. And the explanation I've heard is that that's a generation that grew up playing seven-on-seven football um, in in warm weather places, and they they were catching balls, you know, thousands of, of footballs from the time they were five years old all year round. Um, are you impressed? Are you as impressed with, with this generation of receivers as uh, as I am? And do you think that people are just getting better generally at playing receiver? I am impressed um, with the likes of, you know, the young guys, like the, the guys I mentioned. But, um, I mean, yeah, if you're playing ball, if you're catching balls from that early of age and um, you're just catching balls all the time, 100% it makes it uh, uh, not easier, but you have more repetition at that. Um, so it doesn't, it doesn't um, you know, it doesn't surprise me that the last generation might have more tools in their, in their, in their kit than the previous generation because, you know, they grew up seeing that generation. You know, they grew up seeing, you know, what's possible, what's, what's realistic. And then, you know, add their imagination to it and what they want to do. You know, I'd expect that, you know, there would be some um, level of improvement. I think that you see that over the course of history, you know, uh, with this game, you know, I've seen that you see um, little bits, you know, of talent, you know, um, improvement. And obviously I think that comes with, you know, what's available from nutrition to technology too. Um, that uh, that players have access to. So I think that it doesn't surprise me. Um, there's not many. I'm not going to say that there's a whole lot. You know, there's there's about, there's um, there's some there's some receivers in the league that I'm not saying that they do it to a whole different level, but there's some receivers that do have extremely gifted hands, you know, and I like to talk about like Jefferson and some of those guys. So. so when you look at the NFC North, I know this is the division that you probably pay the most uh, closest attention to after the way the Vikings played on Sunday in that just getting completely blown out and demolished by the Cowboys. Who's the best team in this division? Do you think the Vikings are still that team, maybe ready to make a run? How do you see the rest of this, the, the NFC North playing out? You know, I'm, 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 I'm sad. I forgot what was happening yesterday. I must have been to my kids because I didn't get to watch that game. I, <laughs> I, watch it I don't know. I, I was like, when I looked at the score, like ended the like, like fourth quarter or like half of the fourth quarter, I was just thrown off. Like I was at like three to like almost 30. Like what happened? You know, what happened to this team mm-hmm. that I fully expected to win? I, I, I would have bet if I had to bet, I would have bet on the Vikings and I should have known better because every time I bet, I lose. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I, that one threw me way off. Um, in the NFC North, obviously, you know, I have to lean on, obviously, I don't know what the standings are, but Green, I mean, Aaron Rodgers is still there. Um, hey, and the Lions, you know, they're trying to make it, they're trying to make a comeback. Trying. They're trying to make a comeback. And you know, you know what? I always, you know, I don't want to juice up Lions fans. I don't want to get them all excited for the big letdown. So I, 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 I'm going to stop talking. <laughs> <laughs> I hear you. Um, this wasn't on our list of questions, but you mentioned the pod industry. We actually, you and I were, were uh, we crossed paths a little bit um, at Sloan where you were talking about this in, in Boston a couple of weeks or a couple of months ago. How did you get into the pod industry? And it feels like um, that that a lot of ex-NFL players are getting into the cannabis industry. It's a growth industry. Obviously, there's an understanding um, of it because of of the pain factor and all that stuff. So a lot of stories have been done about it. How did you get into it? And where is it now, especially among NFL players, ex-NFL players, Calvin? Yeah, cool. 
Um, I got into it literally from my real estate background. You know, I was doing some residential, then got into a little bit of commercial and had opportunity to buy real estate in the quote unquote green zones. Uh, went ahead with it, you know, and fully intended to, you know, just have a tenant come in there and, and lease out the space to them, just create, you know, avenue of passive income. But, you know, we're passionate about the, the uh, about cannabis and the healing powers of it. And uh, we decided to put a team together, you know, and over the course of the last, you know, four or five years now, we've been able to uh, build a vertical uh, company uh, where we have a cultivation license, processing licenses and uh retail license. Um, but as far as NFL players getting involved, I think that, you know, it's just an opportunity to medicate uh, more a natural and holistic way. Um, so I think that's why a lot of them, that's why there is a culture in the NFL for this already that has existed, you know, prior to us and prior to Ricky Williams, you know, and prior to, you know, for a long time, because, you know, cannabis is, people have been using cannabis to medicate for, for a millennium, you know? So, mm-hmm. I mean, at the end of the day, that's why we called ourselves our, our company primitive, because at the end of the day, its definition is that when people have been using it for so long. So, um, it, it, it's, it's been a, um, uh, uh, blessing one to be in the industry because you get to see the, the types of people that are have been able to be helped, you know, by uh, you not not specifically by us being in the industry, but by uh, using cannabis. So I think it's crucial to be an advocate for it because it's uh, it's an untapped uh, resource um, that obviously and it's, that's because it's Schedule One. Um, being that you do research on it, or you know, and the tax effects that come with that affecting the businesses. But, um, you know, I think that, you know, that's where our passion comes from. You know, you get to understand how it affects people. We all have an endocannabinoid system. So if you don't know anything about how cannabis interacts with your body, uh, the first place to start would be understanding, you know, Googling basically your endocannabinoid Mm -hmm. system and and understanding how it, um, how it interacts with your body. Um, because we all have it, our animals, our pets have it. And, um, just educate yourself on, on how to, you know, you know, come to the alternate way of healing for, for those ailments that we all have. Fascinating. Sorry, um, tell us what, <laughs> no, no, I, you're pat. It's what you do now. Um, uh, you, you know it, you know it as well as you know, receiving, um, tell us what you're doing with NFL all day. NFL all day is a great platform, man. It's able to, you know, we're bringing together, you know, some of the greatest moments and allowing fans to take part in that. Um, you know, I'm fortunate that I'd be able to have two great moments to, to share and display. Um, I think I had a three touchdown game against uh, Philly. Uh, maybe that was 2015. Uh, and then there was a great uh, tip, uh, toe drag swag uh, touchdown against um, our, our Green Bay Packers at home where I was able to bring them down on, on almost one-handedly. And uh, so I got those two moments to share uh, with fans, man. And it's pretty, it's, it's cool because it'll be allow it'll allow me to see, you know, who the true fans are and be able to, you know, in some way, shape, or form, you know, um, 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 contact those, get in contact with those, and and do some do some some cool and special things for and with them. Love it, Calvin Johnson with NFL All Day. Thank you so much for coming on Sunday Newsday, man. Of course, thank you. Good to see you. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need. 
have coverage options to protect the things you value most. File a claim right on the State Farm mobile app and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.